Matthew chapter number 20. Let's begin reading in verse number 20. We'll read down to verse number 28. I want to share a few thoughts with you from the Word of God tonight. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 20. The Bible says, Then came to him, came to Jesus, the mother of Zebedee's children. Now, if you don't know who that is, this is the mother of James and of John. It says, uh, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on my right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for your strength and your grace. Lord, thank you for your guidance. And thank you that you're the God of all comfort for what you've done for bereaved families today. But Lord, not just that. Undoubtedly, there are families bearing all manner of burdens. And Lord, you've not just been sufficient to the ones of whom we've spoke much of today, but Lord, to every single one of us, you've been our sufficiency. And we just want to thank you for being who you are, for being so good, for always being enough. Now help us tonight, Lord, as we approach the Word of God, to approach it with humility, with self-examination, Lord, that we might allow you to do a spiritual work in our hearts and in our minds. And we know you'll be glorified by it and we'll be the better for it. Lord, we love you. and We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew chapter number 20, this woman, the mother of James and of John, accompanied undoubtedly by James and John, Mark's account tells us that it's James and John that go to Jesus, and Matthew sheds a little more light on that. They were present there, but they had asked their mother to come to Jesus and to request a certain thing. What they desired was a position at the right hand and at the left hand of Jesus in his coming kingdom, meaning that they wanted to be in positions of honor and positions of power, in administrative positions of glory, and they come and desire and ask for this thing of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot worse things that a man could pray for. Uh, for them to desire this of the Lord, I think on its face and on the surface, is not really that scandalous. And yet we find that the Lord Jesus, though He is initially willing, He says, what wilt thou? In other words, the problem is not with the mechanism of prayer itself. It's not that He's not a prayer answering God. But with what they ask for, the Lord Jesus roundly denies them. He says, though you have come worshiping, though you have come undoubtedly believing, though you have come and you have asked for something that is spiritual in nature, for various reasons, I'm refusing you. I will not answer this prayer for you. 
You know, I immediately began to think about a lot of modern philosophy regarding prayer. And there seems to be sort of two extremes in which very often people fall. There are some people that view prayer as merely a sort of theoretical spiritual exercise. Maybe we could call it spiritual yoga, so to speak. That the purpose of it is not actually to effectuate any changes. The purpose is merely something that sort of cleanses us spiritually as a meditative process. This is sort of an Eastern mystic perspective on what prayer is for. I'd have you know not church, prayer changes things. Prayer is not just spiritual stretches that we're doing. Uh, Prayer changes things. It reaches hold of glory. It grabs the horns of the altar. It gets the attention of God. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now there is an extreme at the other end. You can turn on TBN and hear it all day long that views prayers as merely sort of a requisition form to get anything that we should desire from God. They would tell you that if you pray for something and if you ask for that thing in faith and don't receive it, you weren't really believing God. You must have prayed incorrectly. You must not have had enough faith in the process. I'd like to see their prayer list sometime. I'd venture to guess there's unanswered prayers on their prayer list as well. But I find this to be true, that prayer through a biblical prism and perspective, while of course it does have a transforming power in the life of the believer, it is also meant to procure things from God. And when in we our prayer life we pray for things, it is not as cut and dry as to suggest that every time that we ask for something uh, that we can expect we'll always get it, not because God is a powerless God, but because God is a careful God. I don't know about you, I don't always pray for the things I need. You with me tonight? Go ahead, ring out all the rain and amen me a little bit. If I can preach like this, you can amen me. Amen? I find there's times that I pray for things that I don't get from God. I find there's times God gives me things I don't even ask for. And yet I also find it's true that how we pray and the approach we have does make a difference. I want to answer this simple question tonight. Why didn't they get what they wanted? What was wrong with their prayer? Was it what they asked for it? Was it the way they asked for it? Was it what they desired in it? I think when we look at the response of the Lord Jesus, we will find the answer to our question. But you know, my mind immediately came to a passage from the book of James. Most of you could quote it before I even read it. But I'll begin in verse number 1 of James chapter 4. And listen to these three verses. James says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. He says, Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Then he says this, Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, there it is, right there, plain black and white. We've asked for the wrong thing. We've asked in a wrong manner. But I would say to you this, that oftentimes there's more layers to our prayer life than simply is what we're asking for a good thing. There's times I've asked God for good things and He hadn't given it. There's times I've asked for things that on the face of it would appear to be in line with the will of God and He's not granted those things. So I'm either to believe that something is wrong with God's prayer answering ability or something's wrong with my perspective of prayer. I want to preach to you on the thought asking amiss tonight. I want you to notice just three simple thoughts from our text 
I'm not saying this is everything wrong with their prayer, but I am saying it's some things that are wrong with their prayer. And I hope this prompts us to ask this question. Not, is this the reason I'm not getting my prayer answered? But rather, am I praying in the right spirit and in the right way in the first place? Notice three things tonight. Look with me. The very first problem appears in verse 20. The Bible says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing. Now, there are two things that are good about the way that they approach Jesus. One, they come with a worshipful spirit. I'll tell you this, if you can learn to enjoy the presence of the Lord, you'll learn to enjoy prayer more. They come worshiping Him. They don't come demanding this of Him, but they come, and at least superficially, they have a contrite spirit and a contrite attitude. They come and they are are pouring praise upon Him. They seem to be approaching in the right way. And not only that, but notice they're asking for a distinct thing. I'll tell you this, some people's prayers never get answered because they never could get answered. People will say things, some people, if the extent of your prayer life is God keep me healthy, sooner or later that prayer isn't going to get answered. If the extent of your prayer life is, Lord, protect my loved ones, hey, everybody dies of something sometime, sooner or later, that's probably not going to get answered. And then very often the prayers that we pray, though they do have meaning to them, we have maintained such an abstract prayer list that it's really no challenge for God to meet those prayers. I think it's appropriate to pray for traveling mercy. So don't take me as being a wild-eyed cynic when I say this, but if the extent of your prayer life is, Lord, keep me safe while I travel, hey, pagans travel safely sometimes. You're never going to rejoice if you never pray anything more specific, more, more distinct than that. The kind of prayers that bolster your faith and my faith are when we desire a certain thing of Him. We're praying descriptly, distinctly about a matter. You want to see God work in your life? Start praying specifically and you'll find that God's working in your life. There's some good things going on here, some things that I admire, some things that I recommend to you. But there is one glaring problem and one question that I'm sorry just has to be asked. Why do two grown men have their mama coming to Jesus to ask this in the first place? Now, one could maybe say, well, preacher, there's power in numbers. They're wanting someone to agree together with them about this matter. But here's my problem. My problem is not with their mama coming to Jesus about this. My problem is with them not coming to Jesus about this. Man, you've heard me say this before, but let me just note tonight, number one, the proxy for their prayer. Uh, They didn't want to pray about it. They wanted somebody else to pray about it. Can I tell you this? God's not interested in taking the time to answer prayers that you're not interested in taking the time to pray. How often have we resorted to this? Well, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me in matters that we're not praying for ourselves. What a disgrace that is. What a tragedy that is. If you care enough to ask someone to pray, then you ought to be praying over the matter. And you say, preacher, are you trying to discourage me from asking people to pray? No, you ought to be asking people to pray. But it it ought not be, hey, pray in my stead. It ought to be joined together with me in prayer about this matter. They didn't even, and there's probably a number of reasons, they probably knew what they were asking was in the wrong spirit, and they were too cowardly in this moment to approach him about it. Sometimes as we pray, and you'll hear people, I've had people say this to me before, well, preacher, I know you can get a prayer through. If you're born again, why can't you get a prayer through? If there's something wrong in your life between you and God, don't come to me and ask me to be your intercessor. You go to God and get that thing right first. And then we'll join together and pray about that matter. 
I suspect they were too cowardly. I suspect they knew that what they were desiring was not coming from a pure place and a pure intention. But it's also entirely possible that much of what was driven behind this request was a mother's desire and ambition for her sons. And possibly it was that they were even uninterested in the first place. One thing about it that you can mark down, whatever the circumstances were, is that other people praying in lieu of you praying is not a way to get your prayers answered. I see the proxy for their prayer. But then I notice a second thing here. So there's a problem. Their mama comes and prays. And and if your mama will pray for you, by all means, have her pray for you. But get right with God and pray over the matter yourself. And have your mother pray then alongside with you. But notice a second thing here. And that's the presumptuousness of their prayer. There's a fascinating exchange that takes place. He said unto her, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on my right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. You say, Preacher, what was the problem with their prayer? Well, the first is that a proxy for their prayer. The second is they were presumptuous in their spirit concerning their prayer. Notice, number one, their ambitious desire. And this is not altogether a criticism. You've got a big God, you ought to pray for big things. But I would have you notice that the thing that they're asking for is something that would be directly under the administration and decision of God in the first place. I don't want to walk too fine of a line here. I understand we have a sovereign God. I understand any time we're asking God to do something, we're asking Him to do something that He is well able to do in and of Himself with our our asking in the first place. However, there's a vast difference between coming and saying, Now, God, I don't know if this is possible, but this is my heart's desire. And showing up and saying, Hey, Jesus, I've been thinking about this thing, and I think I've decided who you need to have on your right hand and on your left. In other words, they were seeking to command something that should have been under the sole jurisdiction and prerogative of God in the first place. I don't want to neuter your prayer life. Y'all pray for big things. But do understand that prayer is not a means of us ordering God around like a butler. It's a means of trying to discern His will for our lives. And of course it involves expressing our desires and our wishes and praying and seeking for the help and favor of God. But we ought to recognize that in that process, in no place do we have the right to step into the place of God and seek to make decisions in His stead. Notice the ambitious desire here. But then an even more amazing thing happens. Verse number 22. Jesus answered, You know not what you ask. Pause, full stop, record scratch. That's the moment to back up and go to the drawing board again. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't understand all the things that are involved in that. You don't understand the pressures that are involved, the layers that are involved, the considerations that are involved. And then he gives them a little bit of insight. He says, are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, here's what he's saying. Are you able to go through and fulfill the will of God in the way that I am? It's the Lord's way of saying, you're asking for something that's not your prerogative. Are you able, you want to play God, are you ready to step in the stead of God and really play God? You'd think what they would have said is, whoa, we obviously did not understand the nature of what we were asking. They should have said, Lord, I don't know if we're able. You tell us if we're able. We don't know if it's something we can do, but we want your will and we want your desire, whatever it might be. But instead, they answer with three boastful words of the human spirit. We 
are able. Can I tell you part of the problem with our prayer life is sometimes, man, we're asking for things and we don't know what it's going to take. And God answers back with silence or God answers back with a no. And very often in our presumptuousness and our arrogance, we think we can handle things that we can't handle. There's been people, and a great many people pray for financial needs in life. God bless you. I do too, especially when I'm broke. Amen? I'm not against that. But you know, and I know, there's been some people that the worst thing that ever happened to them was money. There's some people that pray for that new job. Man, I want that new job. I'm praying. I'm begging God for that new job. I've seen new jobs take a lot of people out of serving God. Sometimes people say, well, now, preacher, you, you don't understand. I mean, we need this new house. We need this new job. We need this new whatever and this and that. You say, preacher, are you saying we shouldn't pray about it? No, by all means pray, but do understand that God knows more about it than you do. They said, we're able. We can handle it. We can do it. And here is the fundamental problem in their prayer. They viewed themselves as deserving of this position because of their own intrinsic goodness. They said, we believe we can do what it takes. We can earn it. We can achieve it if we will only believe hard enough. Part of the problem with the name it and claim it prosperity wealth crowd is it is always and forever centered upon the exaltation of man and man's ability and never yields glory to God. I'm going to tell you something. Any movement that won't yield glory to God is of hell. And oftentimes the notion is if I believe hard enough, I can achieve it. If I am sanctified enough, I can achieve it. If I strive enough, I can make it happen. But here's the truth about prayer that you'll learn as you pray. His prayer is not about showing how awesome you are. It's not about expressing your potential, but it's about showing how able God is. Anytime you pray and it ends with you saying, hey, I can handle this, something went wrong in your prayer life. I say the presumptuousness of their prayer, but then... There's a third thing, and I was going to, you know, sandbag for time a little bit because you all get real high and mighty if I let you out of church too early. But I'm just too tarred, amen? So I see the proxy of their prayer. You're praying about something you ought to be praying about. Don't dare ask somebody to pray for something that you're not willing to pray for. Then I notice the presumptuousness of their prayer. It's not wrong to pray for big things, but it is wrong to try to step into the stead of God. And it is certainly wrong to believe that God should answer our prayer because we are so dedicated, we are so faithful. Hey, you ain't never deserved a prayer to be answered. I have never deserved a prayer to be answered. God ain't never answered a prayer because He looked down and said, well, I owe it to Him. Never once. The presumptuousness of their prayer. But then notice the purpose of it. This is interesting. Verse 23. He saith unto them, and I don't know what should have scared them more, verse 22 or verse 23, but he says, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Now, they don't even understand the plane that he's talking to them on. They don't even understand the realm he's dealing with. But then he says this, But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. What does he mean when he says that? What he's saying is simply this, that high honored position that you desire, it doesn't come cheaply. It's granted by the Heavenly Father to those that have been faithful to Him. And the problem with your prayer, I'd say this, number one, in the purpose of their prayer, notice the process that it skirted. What God was seeking to do in their life, His sum goal was not to put them on a throne. His sum goal was to make them more like Christ. 
You know why very often our prayers don't get answered is because sometimes they are designed to shortcut around the very substance and purpose of God's working in our life in the first place. I'll tell you this, God could just pay your bills, but wouldn't it be better if He grew your faith through it? God could just heal your body, but wouldn't it be better if He gave you a heart of grace as He did it? God could do all these things, but you understand that in answering prayer, the purpose of it is not just for God to bestow upon you the things you desire. Prayer does procure things that we desire. There's no question about it. But your Heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of before you ask. If it was just a matter of giving you stuff, God don't need your permission to give you stuff. So He must be trying to do something else through it. And of course He is. The purpose of prayer is to develop our faith. It is to sanctify our lives. It is to consecrate our minds. It is to draw us closer to Him. And it is to more expressly manifest in us the life of Christ. And the reason this prayer didn't get answered is because it missed what the whole purpose of the Christian life is in the first place. We live in a world where in T-ball they give everybody a trophy. You know what happens when everybody gets a trophy? Everybody gets junk and nobody gets a trophy. A trophy don't mean nothing if everybody's got one. I'll tell you a little secret. If everybody's special, nobody is. Right? And if the purpose of this high, holy, sacred, honored position at his right hand and at his left is to reward faithfulness in those that love him and those that serve him, then does it not stand to reason that the entire purpose of the existence of that in the first place is to elicit a life of greater devotion to God through it? The reason we pray very often, and I understand we can't always know, but this is where submission comes in in the matter of prayer. This is where not getting bowed up on God comes in in the matter of prayer. Because there will be times you pray for something and you don't know what God's trying to do through that. I know that and God knows that. But you can either get sour over the fact that God didn't answer that prayer or you can get sober over the fact that God didn't answer that prayer. You can either get bitter over it or you can get vigilant over it and you can start looking at your life and saying, now God didn't answer this. I don't know why, but maybe I better stop trying to figure out why. What's God trying to do in my life? What's He trying to change in me? What's He trying to teach me? What's He trying to develop in me? I think the problem with this was the process that it skirted. They, they weren't saying, now, Lord, we want to be more like you. They were saying, now, Lord, we want to sit next to you. And it'd sure be nice if we didn't have to live a life of faithfulness to secure that. It'd be nice if instead you just gave it to us. And the Lord says, that's not what this is about. I can only give that or it will only be given to those for whom it is prepared for my father, of my father. So I see the process that it skirted. And finally, you don't believe this. Finally, and I'm done tonight, verse 24. The Bible says this, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Then this is the operative verse. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Preacher, they prayed this. They came worshiping. They came seeking. They sought a specific thing. They asked for it explicitly, clearly to God. And God said no. Why? Well, I think one is the proxy of their prayer. I think two is the presumptuousness of their prayer. Three is the purpose. They they wanted to skirt the process of it. But then notice not only the process it skirted, but notice the position that it sought. The Lord cuts to the very heart of the spirit behind what James and John are saying. 
And what he discloses to them is that their desire for a place at his right hand and at his left has nothing to do with proximity to him. Rather, it has to do with position over others. They didn't really want to be close to him. They could have been close to him right then and right there. It's funny, you know, I, I was a youth pastor for, I don't know, I, bla- I blocked most of it out, but, but about four years. <laughs> and uh, when I was a youth pastor, every kid wanted to know the will of God for their life. Now, not for things like, should I go to church and should I read the Bible and should I witness to people and should I pray? They were uninterested in that. They wanted to know things like, who am I going to marry? Are they going to be good looking? What kind of car am I going to drive? Where am I going to go to college? What kind of house am I going to buy? All these different things. In other words, they wanted to know things that were way off in the future. And they were always just absolutely befuddled by the fact that God would not give them the itinerary of their life when they were 17. It's always shocking to them that God would not do that. And oftentimes they'd develop a cynical attitude towards the will of God. Well, all you, all you want to talk about the will of God preacher is that we need to keep pure and read our Bibles and go to church. Yeah, because the will of God is that you abstain from fornication. Because the will of God is that you forsake not the assembling yourselves together. Uh, listen, some of us praying for the will of God about things and we ain't doing the will of God that we know is the will of God. They would always desire these things because it intrigued their fancy. It, 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 it boasted and bolstered their ego. And I sense a little bit of this in what's going on in what James and John are desiring here. Now, you and I know, and they may have not had the benefit of knowing this, but you and I know that 2,000 years has passed. That kingdom has still not come to fruition in a visible sense in this world around us. They were asking for something that wasn't going to happen today and something that wasn't going to happen tomorrow. So why were they so preoccupied with it? Because they wanted to live out the rest of their days reminding that loudmouth Peter and the rest of the gang... One of these days, they were going to be the one at Jesus' right hand and at his left. You would have thought instead they would have said, Now, Lord, what do you desire for my life out of today? What do you want from me now? What's the will of God for the next two days? Just give me my marching orders and tell me what I need to do. But this betrays the fact that it was never in the first place about glorifying Christ or desiring his will in their lives. It was always about superimposing their will upon Christ's will and securing a position that would make them feel better than and exalted above those around them. Can I just say it real, 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 real plain? God's not going to answer prayers that are of impure desire. If what you're desiring is not for the glory of God, He's not going to answer that. Now, somebody's going to say, well, you know, preacher, not everything we pray for. I don't know if it glorify God if I got a new pickup truck. I know it would glorify God if I got a new pickup truck, all right? I'm not as spiritual as you, I'll just say it out loud. But rather, it's that as we pray for things, very often temporal things, mundane things, say, preacher, what dictates whether this would be for the glory of God or not? What you do with it. If you take that life and use it for the glory of God, and God will dispense to you whatever blessings you need in your life to carry out that life of living for God and glorifying Him. But they had no interest. They didn't want to give glory to him. They wanted to take glory to themselves. And I'll tell you this, it's a very simple prospect. If you look at God and say, God, I want some of your glory, his answer is no. He doesn't share his glory with anybody. You say, preacher, why is that? That's greedy of God. No, he's God. He's worthy of it. You're not. I'm not. But he always is. And so very simply, what they asked for, what they sought, was not something that was focused upon pleasing the Lord or seeing His will exercised in their life in the first place. And had they gained it, they would have been the worst for it. Some of you, the best thing God ever did in your life is say no to you. 
We live in a day, you can tell in society at large who were told no when they were young and who weren't. Right? Right? You with me? Right? You can tell who was said no to and who wasn't. I'd say this, the folks that never heard no are a lot worse off than the ones that never heard yes. Could be the worst thing God could ever do for you is answer that prayer in the affirmative that you're praying for. You know, asking amiss is not always a dark scarlet stain upon our soul of misstep and rebellion. Sometimes it's just the the product of our fallen nature. That Sometimes us not knowing everything that we wish we knew and want to know, we ask for things that we don't need. In other words, circling back to what Jesus said, He reminds them, I'm God and you're not. And you and your prayer life are going to have to grow comfortable with that fact. There's times you'll ask amiss and God ain't mad at you. He just loves you enough to not answer things that are going to hurt you in the first place. And certainly as you pray and as you seek the will and the heart and the mind of God about matters in your life, these three principles are complete non-starters. If you are praying, asking people to pray for stuff that you ain't going to pray for, don't even bother asking them to pray. It's a, it ain't nothing but just rank hypocrisy. It's a waste of their time and yours and a waste of your breath. If you're going to ask them to pray, you better be praying. And in your prayer, don't be presumptuous. Recognize that there, God knows more than you know. And God knows what you can handle. And God knows what you cannot handle. And sometimes in God not answering that prayer, He's not angry at you. He just loves you enough to not give you the things that would damage you and hurt you. And you better believe if the purpose of your prayer is to try to escape the the transformative process of God in your life of molding you into the image of Christ, God's not going to answer that because the whole reason you draw a breath is to make you more like Jesus. The whole reason He still lets your heart beat in your chest and your lungs breathe and whatever brain cells are still knocking around up there, the whole reason He allows that is to cause you to be made more into the image of Christ. So, of course, things that involve, well, Lord, just put me on easy street. Let's just go ahead and fix this, right? Let's name it and claim it. Call the prosperity preacher. Tell him we've done named it and claimed it. I've claimed that none of you all are ever going to have a problem again. Listen, the number one rule, Number one rule of magic lamps is you always wish for more wishes. I ain't gone crazy. I ain't preached myself nuts. If the prosperity preacher can name and claim anything that he wants, why ain't the hospitals empty? Why ain't he done named and claimed nary again a problem in his life and in the life of his followers that are often buying his Learjets and his mansions? Now, the truth of the matter is sometimes... Uh, suffering, affliction, trials, sometimes deprivation are necessary in my life. Hey, the psalmist said uh, that before I was afflicted, I went astray. But he said, now I've kept thy word. Uh, he said, hey, listen, I, I, I'm glad for my affliction, the psalmist said in Psalms 119. He said, before I was afflicted, man, I was bouncing all over the place, but God brought a little suffering into my life, and that calmed me right down and tethered me to His side. Sometimes in your life, hey, you can't, you can't skirt the process of God molding you into the image of Christ. There's no way around it. And then the position they sought, hey, listen, in your life, if your goal in your prayer is to pray upon another person, not pray for him, pray upon him. If your goal in life is to try to gain an edge over somebody else, not for the glory of God, but for the glory of self, go ahead and mark her down. Don't even waste your time. You're asking amiss. The purpose ought to be to glorify God. So here's a question I have for you tonight. Are you praying for something and it's not been answered? Have you been asking God what He's trying to show you? Or maybe in your life there's something that you should have been praying for. You know you need to be praying for. You've asked others to pray, but you've not prayed about the matter. Won't you come down and pour your heart out to God?
and make your petition before Him yourself tonight. Let's bow together. As the musician comes to play, the altar is open. If God has spoken to your heart, then find a place at the altar. Meet Him down here. So, oh, preacher, I asked somebody else to pray about it. Won't you come pray about it? Won't you come pray about it? Why is their time worth less than yours? Why are their prayers less effective than yours? Come down and pray about it. Preacher, I've been asking for something and God didn't give it and I've been a little sour towards Him over it. Won't you come down and ask His forgiveness? Ask His forgiveness. Say, now, Lord, I've had a bad attitude about this, a wrong spirit about it. God, forgive me and give me a right spirit, a submissive spirit. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.